Big Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. In the two decades prior to the pandemic, the relationship between stock prices and bond yields was for the most part positive. This feature made bonds an effective hedge against equity risks. However, last year, the correlation shifted from positive to negative, and more recently, equities peaked at the end of July and have been selling off as bond yields climb higher. This dynamic poses a risk for investors leaving them with a few places to hide from a market route. What will it take for the correlation to flip back to positive? And at the current juncture, where do the risks and opportunities lie in global financial markets? To help answer these questions, this week I spoke to my colleague, Gary Evans, who heads up BCA Research's Global Asset Allocation Service. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. So, Gary, a key development that has occurred in the post-pandemic period is that the correlation between stock prices and bond yields, which is typically positive, has shifted to negative. This has been very clear over the past couple months. We've seen the global equity index selling off since the beginning of August as bond yields have surged. So what do you think has driven this change? Yeah, so I think we have to look back a little bit further in history. So if, if you go back over you know, several decades, the correlation between bonds and equities has switched around. So in the 70s and 80s, for example, uh, when bond yields went up, equities typically went down. Um, since about mid-1990s, it's been the other way around. And when you go back to the fundamentals, you know what drives bond yields? Well, mostly it's growth. So when growth is good, there's more demand for borrowing. Bond yields go up, bond prices, which are obviously the opposite, go down. And that world of strong growth is good for equities. So in in the past 25 years until recently, bond yields went up, equities went up. They're both driven by growth. But there are other periods in the 70s and 80s with the obvious example of when bonds are driven more by inflation, the risk of future inflation, central bank activity. And in that case, when bond yields go up, that's because they're worried about inflation. And that inflation environment is normally negative for equities. And, and that's what we saw last year, you know, first year for a very long time, where both equities and bonds, bond prices went down. Um, and we've seen it a bit in the last couple of months as well. If you look at the very, I mean, so why do people worry about this? Because 60-40 portfolios, 60% equities, 40% bonds, rely on the idea that you're hedging your equity exposure with bonds. Well, if those two don't work like that, then obviously that's no longer a hedge. If you go back over the very long term, it's going to take as much data as we've got going back to, say, 1960, Bonds and equities have, on average, had a had a slightly negative correlation. So, you know, it's close to zero, frankly. So it does mean that you know, in most circumstances, uh, having a position in bonds does uh, hedge against the risk that equities are going to fall. So, but you have to worry about the environment. So the key question then is going forward: Are we still in an inflationary environment? Are we in an environment where the Fed is going to continue to raise rates? Uh, you know, is it higher for longer? Uh, you know, over the next five years, for example. Is inflation going to be significantly higher than it's been in the last, say, 10 or 20 years? And on that question, how long then do you expect this current dynamic of weaker equity and bond prices to continue? So ultimately, the cure for high bond yields, high interest rates is high interest rates. Um, In the same way we say the cure for high oil prices is high oil prices. Eventually, rates at the current level 
are going to start to put significant pressure on the economy. And we've already got, for example, now um, 30-year fixed-rate mortgages in the US are, are close to 7.5% because of that people aren't taking out new mortgages. Uh, the yield on high-yield debt is, is close to 10%. Direct lending is now often 12%, 13%. Eventually, that's going to cause pain. And so a key view on, on my service and global asset allocation is that when we've had as much uh, monetary tightening as we've had, eventually that will lead to recession. When you get recession, eventually the Fed will cut rates. When short-term rates come down, long-term rates will come down as well. So that's really the key thing. What's difficult is the timing. So, you know, as Milton Friedman famously said, monetary policy works with long and varied lags. On average, between the first Fed rate hike and recession is about two and a half years. The Fed raised rates for the first time in March last year. It wouldn't be surprising if the economy continues to be relatively strong, you know, through until, say, somewhere mid next year. And if we turn to the performance of global equity, so in Q3, nearly all sectors sold off. The main exception, of course, is energy, which has been benefiting from higher crude oil prices. But when we take a look at the outlook for global equities by sector, first of all, what are you looking at when constructing the sector overweights and underweights within an equity portfolio? And second of all, what are your own earnings models telling you about the outlook and how do the models estimates differ from the consensus forecasts? Yeah, so we have a bit of a mixed bag in terms of equity recommendations. So we we still see the oil price rising further. Most of the oil price has not been because global demand has been strong. It's because of tightness on the supply side from Russia and Saudi Arabia and strong demand out of China, which is recovering from the the post-COVID reopening. Um, And that's probably got a bit further to play out. So our oil strategists are looking for maybe as much as $120 a barrel on Brent next year. So that to me is a sector that's still got more upside. I would have some defensive sectors in there as well. So healthcare looks pretty good. The move we made in our quarterly that came out this last week was to cut our overweight in IT. That's worked very well. The problem there now is that, you know, our models for earnings are suggesting that the bottom up consensus, which is 15 percent growth for the IT sector's earnings over the next 12 months, that looks much too optimistic. Um, if you look, for example, at NVIDIA, it's obviously been a great story, you know, massive upside surprises on earnings. They will come out with their third quarter uh, preview in November. You know, are they going to be able to beat expectations again? So that whole complex of the, the basically the Magnificent Seven, the stocks that have pushed the market up this year, which are in the Internet space, the IT space, the consumer discretionary space. We think those are, are relatively uh, worrying um, and that there's room for downside. There. And, and also when you get off a of selling equities, which is what I would expect, people sell what they own. What do people own? Well, they own massive amounts of those Magnificent Seven stocks. Now, you've argued that although the U.S. has so far averted a recession, you don't believe that the current economic resilience implies that it will ultimately completely avoid a recession. And you've been recommending that investors position their portfolios defensively in anticipation of an inevitable economic downturn. But what are some of the upside hedges that you have in place in case this macroeconomic view doesn't pan out? Yeah. So, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the recession might not start until mid next year. That wouldn't be surprising given the pattern of recent of previous relationships between monetary tightening and the recession. You know, some of my colleagues would say it won't happen until the second half of next year. I mean, I don't think you can rule that out. The timing is is really difficult. 
on average, in the past 40 years, U.S. stocks have peaked only two months before recession began. So I think there is a risk that we have further upside. And the, the sector that I've been using as a sort of cheap call option, if you like, as a hedge against that upside risk has been the materials sector. Um, it, it's a very unloved sector. Um, analysts are forecasting declines in earnings over the, the next 12 months. Um, and the key here really is China. China has been very sluggish this year. The economy hasn't recovered as people expected. The 5% GDP growth target that the Chinese government has in place, as things stand at the moment, they're going to miss that. And they really haven't done much, by the way, of stimulus yet. So I think particularly after we get the third quarter GDP numbers, if they're disappointing again, I think the Chinese government's going to be forced into incrementally increasing uh, rate cuts, telling banks to go and lend more, maybe do some fiscal spending. And the commodities prices, particularly metals prices, are very closely correlated to that. And given how it's a very unloved sector, it's cheap, analysts are forecasting earnings to decline. It's one where if we do see that news coming out of China, I think you could see some, some, some upside. So that's the one area where I, I would probably be thinking that uh, I'd have some exposure to very cheap, but you'd get that upside in the event of the rally continuing further. Well, Gary, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.